Digital Marketing Radio, episode 135. New Year's resolutions for marketing teams. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Today's episode is brought to you by Aweber. Build your email list, engage your subscribers, do email the right way. I've arranged a special deal for all digital marketing radio listeners, and that's a 60-day free trial with the email marketing software provider I use, Aweber. Lock in your 60-day free trial, plus view a video that I've recorded and the three reasons why I use their service at aweber.com slash DMR. So just go to aweber.com slash DMR to get started today. The Big Interview with David Bain. I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, weekly interviews with online marketing gurus. Catch up with all the previous episodes at digitalmarketingradio.com. I'm joined today by the author of The Professional Marketer. He's the VP of Marketing at Incapsula. Welcome to DMR, Tim Matthews. Great, thanks for having me. Well, you can also find Tim over at matthewsonmarketing.com. But uh, Tim, why have resolutions for marketing teams? You know, teams are no different than people. They're, after all, made up of a group of people. And I've always found that January can be a little bit quiet in the beginning. So it's the perfect time of year to look back on what you did in the previous year, think about what you could do better, and set a resolution or two for your team. It's just the perfect time, and it's a very easy thing to do. Okay, so January's the best time. It's not just the fact that um, everyone happens to be doing it. There is a mythology behind that. Well, you know, actually, so so January is named for the Greek god uh, Janus, actually maybe a Roman god, I'm not quite clear on that. So looking forward, looking backward, the the two-headed god, so... January is the time to be reflective. So it's not just that everyone else is doing it. It's actually a historically good time to actually look forward and look back. And can you be reflective as a team or should you be reflective as an individual? So um, certainly both, but as a head of marketing, what I like to do is, is set the tone for reflection, if you will, reflection and improvement. So what is it that you can do as a team to get better? And what I've done is set up some exercises that teams can do together to Make that a lot easier and, you know, not make it a drudgery, but make it a fun exercise to kick off the year. So you can both have fun with it, but also come out with some real positive directions for your team uh, that hopefully are going to grow your business. So how, how do you go about having fun with it? Is it a bit of a brainstorming exercise? Do you actually try and do it together or? Yeah. Um, is, yeah. There's a couple. So, so I, I definitely encourage having a, a team meeting, bring some food that always helps. But um, here are a couple of my favorites. So um, one is what I call be the buyer day. So one dirty little secret in marketing is that a lot of marketers never really talk to customers. Either they're so far removed from the customer because they work in the consumer business or the salespeople won't let them actually have access to customers. So how is a marketer going to actually understand what it's like to be like a customer, especially online? So be the buyer day is very simple. You figure out who your competitors are. You break up your marketing team into smaller teams and you act like a buyer who's buying a product from your company and also from your competitors and see what it's like. Search on Google, go to their site, call some phone numbers and go through that experience and figuring out how good or how bad you are compared to the competition and what you could do to make it better. It's actually a lot of fun. But is it actually possible for someone who's worked for a company for say two to four years to actually really put themselves in the mindset of someone who hasn't experienced that website, for instance, before? Because you may have pre- preconceptions yourself based upon the fact that um, maybe you know the product. So perhaps 
it would be easier for you to navigate through the order process compared with someone actually experiencing it for the first time. That's certainly true. However, if you go to your competitor sites, for example, you're not going to be as familiar with their menus, how they describe their products. Uh, that's number one. Um, and number two, the real fun begins not with the site itself, but what happens when you click the button? What happens when you pick up the phone? Um, I could tell you some funny things that have happened sure. through the years when I've done this. Um, probably the most uh, embarrassing and insightful thing was when we called up our very own company. And to your point, we did get some of the more junior folks on the team to call our own company. And uh, we actually were told by one of our telemarketing reps on the phone that they didn't carry our product. This was our own company, mind you. So <laughs> we, we realized that we had some training to do. Now, grant you, this company had hundreds of products, but you'll find out things about your own process that you assumed had, were working that, in fact, aren't working. So that's, that's one fun thing. It's also fun to call up your competition. Um, and you can, I like to just say who I am and see if they really you know, recognize my name. And uh, it's fun to hear what they say about your company. It's fun to hear the rejoinders, the put-downs, the FUD, if you know what that is, that competitors will throw your way. I'm trying to think what the FUD would be, actually. That may be a, uh, a high-tech ac- uh, an, uh, anagram, which is uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Right. Uh, and so they're throwing you know, doubt or mistrust about your company. So it's fun to hear uh, what they're saying about you, what they've heard or what they've been taught to say about your company. But you can use all of these things to diagnose what it's like to be a customer of your own company calling up you and a couple competitors, and you can find out or have some ideas about what you could do better. And sometimes that's fixing your own site. And in other cases, it's actually copying an idea you saw at a competitor's site. Or in other cases, it's realizing, you know, you've got some work to do. You've got some uh, weight to lose, so to speak, that you've got to actually be a lot more efficient in your customer onboarding process. So have you ever experienced a competitor saying something really negative about your business and felt that you actually had to do something about it? Um, just about every time. <laughs> uh, you know, really negative is obviously a relative term, but you know, there's always some kind of slight or put down or positioning that the competitor will do if they realize who we are. And a lot of times it's training our sales team. <clears throat> Sometimes it's creating a sales tool. Other times it's launching a campaign or a small campaign to counteract. Um, someone might say that your quality is poor or your support is poor. And so putting out a series of blogs, discussing you know, some interesting support incidents you've seen, for example, or talking about some of your customer successes in an industry. Uh, there's all kinds of small things you can do. And that's really the important thing about this exercise is don't make it yet another long annual marketing plan. Pick a few things that you can fix and improve uh, and improve them. I think of it like when I'm off for a couple of weeks, uh, I actually find my honeydew list, which is my list of to-dos for my wife, and I pick five or 10 or maybe two or three, depending on how much time I have. So pick just a few things and try and improve them uh, because you know all of us digital marketers, our systems now are so complicated and some of them have been put in place so many years ago that it's good to look back and see what we could do better. It's funny that you say all of us digital marketers, and then you're giving examples of offline marketing activities and phoning customers. Um, is, is Should digital marketers actually be picking up the phone and talking to customers as well, do you think? Well, so ultimately, you know, every activity in online marketing that involves a B2B sale anyway, ultimately involves some kind of salesperson. So you're either going to chat with that person or fill out a form to talk to that person or actually talk to them on the phone. So in many cases for me, that's the 
penultimate step uh, before the transaction happens. That being said, um, yes, that was a phone example. Many other times I've simply tried to buy a product online and seen really good or really bad online forms, really good or really bad chat teams, for example, uh, or I've noticed that I cannot find my competition in a particular Google search query that I'm putting in. So you find out things about the digital aspects as well as you know the, the live transactional aspects as well. Okay, so we've got a, um, we're recording this um, live on Blab, and of course it's um, uh, going to be published on uh, Digital Marketing Radio as part of the podcast series. But um, as we were recording it live, we've got a few people watching us. We've got um, Chris Hanlon there, we've got JAC, um, Internet Major, um, we've got... Um, Someone from Greece. I'm not sure if I particularly want to uh, pronounce your your name. Sorry, <laughs> Dan's legacy there as well. So a few people in the audience there, and a few people um, watching not directly in Blab, but we're um, giving away a copy of Tim's book here. So what we're going to do is hopefully get a good question in. So um, if you would like to ask Tim a question in relation to marketing resolutions or perhaps uh, in relation to his um, his book, The Professional Marketer, then please fire a question. If it's only the one question, then you probably will win the book. Um, if there are multiple questions, then we are going to have to actually choose between the questions for the, the best question. So um, hopefully we're going to get a couple of questions in there. Um, but in the meantime, actually, you mentioned you had a, a, a team there. How, how specifically do you really encourage your team to actually go through the resolution process, Tim? So I'll answer that in two ways. First of all, as it relates to the Be the Buyer Day, we assign teams. And we assign one team per competitor. And we have some fun with it by having prizes. So most insightful a competitive nugget that someone's found, the um, most ridiculous thing that they experienced, the uh, best idea. So you can come up with all kinds of fun prizes. That's one way to encourage the team. Um, in some of my other exercises, for example, one thing I do is I say, let's give the marketing department an annual review for the previous year. Let's use our same grading system as we use for all of us, and let's grade our department. And what do you guys think? And that's just a fun you know, group discussion that happens for 20 minutes or half an hour or so, where we use our same grading system, whether it's, you know, one to 10 or needs improvement, meets expectations, exceeds expectations. And then we just have a nice, fun conversation personifying our marketing team as a whole. So that's just a, again, could be a way that you could make a weekly meeting more fun by having an interesting exercise. Um, but the one thing that I do that's a bit more serious is I want everyone on my team to set a not a corporate goal or a business goal, but a personal goal for the year. So I want them to become better marketers. So what, what does that mean? I want you to become better at SEO. So are you going to go talk at a meetup? I want you to become a better public speaker. When are you taking your public speaking uh, course? We all kind of forget to develop ourselves as we get you know hot and heavy during the middle of the year. Why don't we actually set a goal in January and as managers make sure that actually happens by hopefully before the end of September, um, if not sooner. So that's a way I can engage people too. I want to make you better as a marketer. So January, kind of getting back to that New Year's resolution theme, in January, set a goal for the year for yourself personally, and I'm going to help you get there. That's another way to, to motivate folks personally. Great. Okay. So you're, you're benchmarking your progress as, as, as time goes by. So excellent concept there. And um, in terms of yourself, um, what else is on your own list of marketing resolutions this year? <laughs> so... Um, it seems like every year I've got the same resolution, which is this year is the year that I get perfect analytics. 
right? <laughs> I want to know. I want to know my numbers cold. I want to trust my data. Um, and the problem is, as you grow your business and as you grow the complexity of your online channels, you're constantly growing the surface area, so to speak, of what you're measuring. So um, that's on my list this year. Um, you know, we're a rapidly growing cloud business, and so much more is happening now without salespeople interacting with customers. So we've got so much work to do just to track and measure um, our users coming to our site and our conversions on our site. So that's that's probably number one on my list. Okay. And we've got a couple of questions in already, but um, just before we come to them, um, one other uh, train of thought. Um, is it the Professional Marketer, um, the book that you launched, uh, exists um, a, a, a large degree because of Kickstarter? Were you actually quite happy with the Kickstarter experience? I, I thought it was great. You know why? Because I felt if I couldn't get people to pre-purchase the book on Kickstarter, then the book didn't deserve to be written. So it's perfect market validation for a concept. Uh, and if you can't raise the money on Kickstarter to produce your, your project or your product, whatever it happens to be, you should maybe step back and think about why you're doing it. So I, I thought the platform was great. It was great to get people who were very supportive. They felt that they were you know, involved in the process. I actually uh, ran a few of the book cover ideas by them to see which art they liked the best. So it was part uh, you know, pre-purchase. It was part focus group. It was um, a lot of validation. So I I did really enjoy the process. And how do you actually choose the amount of money that you go for? Because obviously you don't want to choose too little because you want enough for the project and you don't want to right. be too greedy either. How, how do you actually pinpoint that figure? That's an interesting question. So um, I figured out all my costs and I think I added maybe 10% because I figured it was something I didn't know. Mm. Uh, and I, I set a pretty, a pretty low goal. I wasn't in it to make money. I was in it to prove the concept and to produce the initial run of the book. Um, and uh, I made it. Uh, with a little room to spare. So I think the mistake people make is they try and either, you know, fund an entire business, uh, which is too much money unless you're really lucky, uh, or they've got a concept that is so out there that there's just no way they're going to make it or they get greedy. And so my goal was simply to kind of validate the concept, cover the costs. Well, Frank Clark also saying in the chat, uh, it also forces you to learn how to write marketing copy for Kickstarter <laughs> that performs well on Kickstarter. You know, that's also a really good comment. Um, one, one, one thing you realize after you write a book is you think, oh, wait, I'm a marketer. I should be able to, to market my own book. And um, it's a bit of a shift for someone like me working in high-tech software marketing to, to market a book. Um, and so I had to remind myself that I had only just begun my process. You know, writing the book is only half the journey. Uh, actually getting it produced and in the hands of people who actually want to read it uh, is a whole other challenge. Uh, and so that was actually fun, too. I've just got one other question in relation to Kickstarter just before we come to the questions. And that's, um, what's one thing that you might do differently on a future Kickstarter campaign? Um, that's an interesting question. I think one thing you can do is, uh, I might have started a bit earlier, uh, only because I might have shifted some of the content of the book potentially based on some of the input from you know potential backers. So I could have gotten more, in my case, editorial input early on in my writing process. And that would have been kind of interesting. Um, so, but otherwise, you know, I, I achieved my goal, so I can't really complain too much about the whole process. Okay, great. Okay, well, we've got three questions here. Um, so I'll read them out here. And um, Tim, if you could possibly choose a winner in, with regards to which answer perhaps might offer the most value to the listeners. Um, so question number one is how to collect emails and create a good lead list. That's from Internet Major. 
JAC has the question, do you use a particular social listening tool? And for B2B, is there a particular one you recommend? Um, we've got Frank Clark with how much did you have to raise on Kickstarter to cover the cost of your book? Mm-hmm. And he's actually got another one. How did you get your start in marketing? <laughs> <laughs> well, those are some, those are some good um, questions. I'm going to go with the how did you get your start in marketing question. I think that's always an interesting uh, question to figure out how people's paths have led them into marketing. So I'm going to go with that one. Okay, um, great. Should I, should I answer it? <laughs> go for it. Yes, please. Yeah. So the answer is um, I started out working in sales as what's called a sales engineer, which in high tech is somebody who assists the salespeople to make the sale. And I came to a crossroads and realized I could either become a salesperson um, or a marketing person. And, you know, I, I didn't, I, I actually closed some deals, but I didn't love the clothes. Really good salespeople just love the clothes. And uh, what I found was I thought of myself as a victim of bad marketing working in the field. And so I thought if I got into marketing, I could actually scale my efforts across lots of salespeople. So I thought that's what I want to do. I don't, I don't love the clothes. I like talking to customers, but if I could take what I know and scale it across 10, 20, 100 salespeople, that would be a lot more rewarding. And, you know, here I am. <laughs> still going, still going strongly. Still going strong. They haven't kicked me out yet. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that, Tim. And um, um, I, I assume that Frank could uh, get in touch with you at Encapsula, and uh, that's probably the best way just to leave his details or her, her details. Um, and that's right. Just either uh, email me or, uh, you know, find me on Twitter either way and send me your, uh, your mailing address <laughs> and I'll send you a signed copy. Wonderful. Okay. Well, coming up, we're going to be learning about the one piece of software that Tim couldn't live without. But first of all, a couple of listener mentions. Uh, Jay Carberry and POS Workspace have written reviews of Digital Marketing Radio on iTunes. Jay Carberry says, loving his podcast, um, episode topics are interesting, the content's incredibly helpful, and the episode length is perfect. Keep up the great work, David. And POS Workspace says, David's enjoyable interview style with his accomplished and talented guests, including Tim, um, provides valuable, actionable content. I learn something every time. Really appreciate it, guys. Um, thanks for taking the time to write a review, and um, it makes it all worthwhile getting comments like that. But let's segue into the second section of our discussion. So that focuses more on uh, Tim's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. <laughs> what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? So I have to say, this was really hard uh, when I thought about this one because we use a lot of software. You know, these days, <clears throat> heads of marketing rely so much on, on, on online tracking of users that I had to think about this one a bit uh, when you sent it to me in advance of this uh, interview. But the one for me that I couldn't live without is a product called Optimizely, mm-hmm. which for those who don't know is a way of doing automatic A-B testing on your website. Okay, yeah. No, that's a piece of software that's been mentioned three or four times. So um, repetition is the, um, the the mother of it must be a, a valid, decent piece of software. It's a good, <clears throat> it's a great product. And it's one of the few things where I actually was able to make my money back on my investment in the first week I used it. So wow. um, it, it really works well. Well, here's a slightly more challenging question, and that's uh, what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? So you'll notice a theme here. This is all about you know online interactions with customers. That's, that's my business. There's a really cool product, <clears throat> which is called Hotjar. Hmm. And Hotjar actually allows you to watch people fill the forms out on your website. So you can see where they're stumbling, what they're skipping, 
where they're abandoned. It's kind of like um, those old recorded phone calls of sales conversations you could listen in on and hear what your salespeople were saying, what the customers are saying. Hotjar lets you actually watch people interacting with your website and seeing what's going on and where they fall off. So that's that's pretty cool because you can actually watch exactly the behavior of your users. And so we're, we're going to look at trying that one out. Okay, great. Okay, well, a couple more questions in the um, comments. Um, asking if it's hotjar.com. It is hotjar.com, definitely. Is, yes. And um, optimizely is just optimized, just with a, an L-Y at the end, dot com. Dot L-Y, yeah. yes. Okay, great. Um, well, I'll include also links to that within the, the notes when the podcast is published at digitalmarketingradio.com. But moving on to... I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Yeah, so so many mistakes. Um, but isn't that how we all gain experience, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think one, you know, right now, working at a business where so much of our business is done online, so many of our you know sales and trials start online. I worked at a company where we had an online store and every year we'd say, yeah, we did about 5 million. We did 5 million last year. That's not too bad. We kind of thought that that's the most that we could do. And we just left it alone. And now looking at how much business is done via e-commerce, via online stores, I think we should have thought harder about how to take that 5 million and really expand the audience, expand it to partners, somehow have looked at that channel um, as a way to really grow the company, as opposed to a typical inside sales or a channel partner type of model. And we just kind of dismissed it. We thought, ah, that's just online. It's, you know, it's doing it, you know, it's paying for itself, but we weren't really focused on how to grow it. So I guess to generalize, um, never overlook any opportunity to optimize, which is why I'm such a big fan of Optimizely. There's so many places now you can actually get 5, 10, 20% gain. And before you know it, it's going to add up to some big numbers. Never overlook any opportunity to optimize. That sounds like a good tweet. <laughs> Let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. 10 quick questions, just two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And okay. you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So ready to go? I'm ready. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Audio. Affiliates or display advertising? Affiliates. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations? Online. Paid search or SEO? SEO, definitely. Email contact form or telephone number? Email. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email. And local marketing or global marketing? Global. That's disappointing. There's not one answer you struggled with there. Well, it's funny because um, when you said Facebook or Google+, Plus, I was going to say neither, but that wasn't one of my options. Um, I, I honestly, I, I do use Twitter, so I might have said both for email and Twitter, honestly. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what live video does for Facebook because um, that's coming in Facebook pages. And right. you've got services like Blab here that are really popular for that, and it's certainly doing very well. So hopefully it won't be a Blab killer at all. But um, I'm just wondering if that will get more businesses using pa Facebook pages again. Do you, have, do you have any thoughts on that? It, it might. And, and honestly, this is a, uh, an annual debate um, mm. that we have in B2B marketing. I could have probably put this on my resolutions list. You know, do we or don't we uh, go he more heavily into Facebook? 
Um, you know, we know that we get social shares on Facebook. We don't think that our buyers are looking for products like ours on Facebook. We don't want to invade that space, so to speak, with a business-to-business -business software message. So we're constantly going back and forth on how much of our effort should we put into Facebook versus, for example, LinkedIn uh, or some other channel. Okay, right. Okay. I mean, I interviewed um, Dennis Yu um, probably about 20 episodes ago on Digital Marketing Radio, and um, he's a um, serious Facebook consultant, and he says Facebook's biggest secret is that B2B works on there. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> we, we, I mean, we do, we do have a presence. Um, we do find that we get a lot of social pickup and, uh, if you will, top of the funnel uh, assistance from Facebook, uh, but I'll have to go back and look at that or listen to that podcast rather uh, and, and see if I can pick up a few tips. Sure. I mean, it's certainly interesting. Uh, a lot of people are on there, but um, it does seem a very B2C orientated type um, platform, or certainly in terms of the conversation that's going on. It does. And, and honestly, um, one thing I always ask myself is, you know, there was a whole generation that was raised on Facebook that uh, are now in charge of significant budgets uh, inside of organizations that buy software from companies like mine. And what I always wonder is, do those people gravitate toward Facebook naturally as a way to find and discover new tools and software? Or is it a space for you know, their personal life? And that's what I always go back and forth on when it comes to you know, the B2B marketing. Mm. Well, at least they're managing to monetize, not like uh, Twitter at the moment. They're that's struggling that's a little right. bit there. <laughs> that's right. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Mm. Um, if I could only have $10,000, I would spend it on some kind of killer content, probably an ebook or a great infographic. Um, and I would measure uh, people who had actually looked at it, looked at it rather, and, and people who had shared it. Um, and I picked that because once you have the content, you can display it, you can produce it, and you can actually share it through so many different channels. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many ways to use it. So I feel like you could leverage that $10,000 through lots of other channels, many of which cost nothing. Um, and I'm a big convert to content marketing. So that's, that's something else that I've recently come to, which is people want interesting stuff to read and consume. And if you can provide that, then you're going to be their, their go-to choice for a vendor. I love how you said, um, if I only had $10,000, because um, a lot of people that I ask that question to may, may think, <laughs> wow, um, what am I going to do yeah. with all that money? And other people think it's a uh, spit in the ocean. <laughs> I've, you know, I've, I've been in both situations uh, and there are challenges to both. But yes, uh, that is a relatively small amount of money for me uh, these days. But, but you know, honestly, even if I had very little money, I mean, I've actually spoken to a number of startups who've asked me, you know, similar kinds of questions. And I I asked them back, what could you produce that nobody else can produce? Is it a study? Is it an infographic? Is it a, some kind of tool? And so even if you're a small company, that kind of investment can, can really pay off, even if it's all you have to spend. Another question in the chat actually saying nonprofit here. What if you only had $1,000 to spend online? Would that be a similar kind of answer, Tim? Would it be content marketing driven again? I, I think so, because, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of nonprofit you you know, you're, you're running, maybe you could actually answer in the chat box, but I think that nonprofits have all kinds of great information. I also think that if you're a nonprofit, you can ask somebody for 10 minutes of their time to answer a survey, for example, and get all kinds of interesting ideas uh, for content back from them. So if it's to do with, for example, um, pet shelters or, you know, pet care, 
you know, the ASPCA, I'm sure you could interview 10,000 pet owners to come across uh, all kinds of interesting things about how they care for their pets. I mean, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. My wife works for a river conservancy and the people that actually are, belong to that group are very passionate about the river and they would easily give their time. Um, so I think it's content. And I think the great thing about content too, if you're a nonprofit is it's great for the media. Media love studies and surveys, so produce something interesting for them to to write about to publicize your group. Yeah, they're saying that Sam, they work at risk youth. Um, so um, I mean, obviously, that the, there is an opportunity there to actually do some kind of survey and um, collate the information and, and publish that. You may not want to necessarily publish absolutely everything, and you would take a different um, tack at that compared with. Um, other types of sure. nonprofits, but um, have you any thoughts on that one at all, Tim? Well, I think, you know, it, I don't know a lot about this group, but, mm. you know, what are the at-risk youth saying? What do they wish they had done differently or learned or what kind of mentorship do they wish they had had? I mean, I could think of all kinds of questions you might actually ask the youth themselves um, that might actually bring you media coverage, um, donations, if that's what you're looking for, uh, mentorship, uh, volunteerism, if that's what you're looking for. So I think there's all kinds of ways you could engage the youth and, and let them know their voice is being heard. Uh, that might actually be free, or you could simply ask them for their, their responses and just write a, a great blog about that. Um, so anyway, I think there's all kinds of, you know, how to deal with that risk youth, what, you know, what you can do to, to help. I mean, I just think that, you know, people are looking for good quality content, thoughtful content, um, so, and someone just put in the text box, you have to write a compelling story. So I can imagine an at-risk youth being a success, uh, in life and that being very motivating. So that's another take on the same kind of idea. So absolutely. I mean, there are many successful people who perhaps had challenging times while they were growing up as well. So perhaps you can find someone like that. And, um, if you can actually tell them then that it's for a charity like that, then many people are willing to contribute a lot. And then if you've got that right. person's name, then perhaps that adds to your ability to be able to actually make that piece of content go a little bit more viral. That's right. And, and uh, you just remind me of something that this is not you know for nonprofit, but I heard someone recently say at a content marketing conference, every story begins with an invoice. In other words, after every transaction, there's some story to be told. And so never underestimate um, the stories to be told and the information to be gleaned and therefore marketed uh, once you have it. So much value here. I could keep this conversation <laughs> going on forever, I'm sure. But um, I reckon that just about takes us up to my number one takeaway. So, Tim, you've offered so much great advice in our conversation. Um, could you possibly distill it down to just one individual takeaway for our listeners just to go away with? Yeah, I think that it's. I'm going to have to come back to never, never overlook an opportunity to optimize. Marketing has changed from produce a bunch of stuff and then you know you're done for the year to constant weekly um, optimization of everything: social channels, website, sales training, you name it. So uh, I think we're on, we're on a treadmill now in marketing, and so just every week think about what could you do better next week, and then the week after that. Um, and I think you're going to improve a lot. Uh, and it's a lot easier in some ways than my annual resolutions to think about every week, how can I get a little bit better and a little bit better? Uh, maybe it's a smaller uh, smaller bite, if you will. Great takeaway. Well, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? So the best thing is to go to uh, Matthews on Marketing, which is my blog. 
Uh, you can see all the stuff that I've written and uh, see more about the book. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, which is uh, at Tim Matthews SV. Great stuff. So, thanks to Tim and uh, thank dear listener too. Um, if you enjoyed what Tim shared today, here's what you can help. Go and get your friend's iPhone, go to the podcast podcast app and search for Digital Marketing Radio. Click on the show and hit the subscribe button and then make them listen too. And finally, I'm also hosting another live show every Friday called This Week in Organic. Head over to thisweekinorganic.com and find out more about that. So that's all for now. Until we meet again, adios and um, thank you again for joining me, Tim. Thanks so much. <laughs>